Welcome to Sunday Night Dinner, a podcast that cooks. I'm Suzanne Hancock. Okay. Onion. Onions. So in front of me I have um, Bermuda onion, about five pounds worth, and uh, well, a white cooking onion. Five pounds of Bermuda onions and the same of white cooking onions. Any idea what Chef Michael Dixon is making? Yep, French onion soup. That classic dish that can be sort of a tepid jumble of liquidy onions topped with scorching melted cheese or a really elegant, rich treat. Michael, who has worked in some of the best kitchens in the world and has taught at George Brown College, is making a slow, loving version of French onion soup, and the result is amazing. These five-year-old kids, my daughter Lola and Michael's son Quinton, one of whom refuses to try anything new, both said it tasted like candy. Do you guys like soup? Yes. Quinton, do you like soup? Yes. What kind of soup do you like? Tomato. Quinton, what kind do you like? Tomato. What else? Um, squash. Squash, yeah. Are you excited to try some French soup today? Yeah. Yeah? You excited, Lola? Tomato. It's gonna be so good. Well, my dad told me French soup is like so good. You can take Quinton's word for it. The French onion soup that Michael makes is so good. Michael will take you through the preparation of this soup, and along the way, you'll get lots of cooking tips, stories about his favorite meal, and what brought him to this dish in the first place. This isn't an overly complicated dish with dozens of components, but its success depends on taking care of each ingredient. He's making a really big pot of this soup, because if you go to the trouble of doing the traditional slow caramelization of the onions, there's no cheating here. You might as well make a bunch. Of course you don't have to, and the amounts for a smaller pot are on our website, sundaynightdinnerpodcast.com, in the recipes section. Of our Sunday night dinners, this is one you'll spend a little more time making. It's not quick, but the result is delicious. The modern version of French onion soup is said to have originated in France in the 18th century. I remember it becoming popular when I was growing up in the 70s because of Julia Child's influence on the world of food and her popularization of French cuisine. Before we got to cooking the soup, I sat down at Michael's kitchen table to talk soup and comfort food and what it was like watching his Polish grandmother in the kitchen. Her kitchen came with a lot of cabbage, mm-hmm. specifically cabbage rolls, pierogies for sure, big part of it. There was always rye bread, borscht, you know, beet soup mm-hmm. with little dumplings called urschke, which translates to ears. So like a little mushroom filled dumpling, you know, was kind of one of her trademarks. You know, a lot of great soups, pierogies. You know, offcuts of meat, things that were just affordable. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever prime. Tripe at the time, I, I, I couldn't go for, but uh, do now. <laughs> um, they had a huge garden here in the city by city standards, and then one at the cottage. You know, and during the summer months, both were kind of going. And they grew everything, you know, tomatoes, cauliflower, tons of leeks, a lot of mushrooms. You know, like I'd get up at the cottage and come out and, you know, by 8 or 8.30 in the morning, come out and there'd be, you know, literally a thousand dollars worth of mushrooms that she had picked like that morning, just kind of drying in the sun. But what I remember most about it was the wall of aroma, 
right? Just these mushrooms sitting on these screens and everything, morels and chanterelles and the mushrooms that I don't really know the Polish names for, but just like starting to dry and just this huge stench. You know, at the time as a kid, you're like, eh, gross, but really quite beautiful. Yeah, and so she would dry those and, you know, and uh, those would be a big part of the, the cooking all summer long, right? Like a, a flavoring, much the way like a, uh, you know, a French cook will put a bay leaf in everything. You know, she, her kind of boosters were like dried mushrooms, right? And I and I cook kind of like hybrid with that. Like I'm, I guess French trained, but I do a lot of little things like that that I saw, I suppose, as a kid. What are the dishes now that you make that you still love cooking? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I still love making, you know, a wonderful soup. A soup with something, you know, whether it's as simple as, you know, a sprinkle of cheddar or, you know, a, a braised piece of meat or, or something. But like a nice, you know, soup with an appropriate garnish is always rewarding to make and serve. Then we went to an incredible hidden kitchen in Toronto where Michael currently works as a personal chef and he made some classic French onion soup. You'll hear the kitchen fan, lots of chopping, and a ton of onions caramelizing. At one point, Michael grabbed the microphone and put it right into the frying pan, so you might actually feel like an onion. Okay. Onion. Onions. So in front of me, I have um, Bermuda onion, about five pounds worth, and uh, well, a white cooking onion. Um, you know, the onion family has leeks and shallots, you know, the two I've just aforementioned here, um, all sorts of uh, varieties, but not all I would say are suited to this particular dish. Uh, leeks a little high in the sugar content. Uh, as you're caramelizing things out, you might find, uh, you know, they start to burn on you a little quickly. So I tend to just kind of keep to these two guys and a little bit of garlic and uh, it gets me plenty of onion flavor. It starts with the onions, you know, and, and just kind of getting through them and, and slicing the onions, making sure that you know, everything is kind of an even uh, size. I've peeled all these onions ahead of time. They're, 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 they're whole onions when I start, you know, as I'm working through my board here, I kind of take the onion once peeled, I split it in half, lay them face down on the board and create kind of a little pile. You know, if you're doing volume, you kind of work in stages. So I create a little pile and then I start to cut the root off because once I slice through, I want the onions to kind of come apart and be in kind of individual slices. So I cut the root off the onion and you have kind of two, two options for a sliced onion. Typically for a salad, you know, we'll, we'll do a sliced onion kind of lengthwise, you know, with the, you know, petal for lack of a better word. But in the case of the onion soup, you know, we want to go uh, across the petal. And what that gives us is kind of a nice kind of half round, you know, as if you were kind of slicing onion for a burger, just kind of the half moon, right? You know, and what that does is it, it the, the onion itself will cook down, it'll caramelize, but it won't dissolve, you know, slice the other way, the onion might kind of dissolve out a bit on you and kind of disintegrate. And in some cooking instances, you, you actually want that. But in this case, we want like strips of onion. So we want it to kind of hold uh, hold itself together all while getting nice and caramelized. Okay. So you know it's it's going to take some tears. It's going to take uh, take a bit of work. 
Speaking of tears, while researching the history of French onion soup, I learned that during the reign of King Louis XV, it was nicknamed the soup of the drunkards because the court at Versailles realized that it was very good at covering the smell of a heavy night of drinking. And it's still a hangover cure in many French households. Good to know. Back to Michael. You know, when I consider what would be a dish that, uh, you know, would be suitable for this exercise, you know, I thought through a lot of uh, comforting dishes from my past, you know, things that you know, I've had, you know, with family and, and friends, and it was kind of a bigger, bigger challenge than I expected. You know, as we kind of had in our earlier talk, I, you know, I had a, a grandmother that, you know, was a great cook, and, you know, I saw a lot of incredible food from her firsthand. But, you know, recreating those, I, I didn't feel I could do those justice, uh, the more I thought about it. There weren't things that I had a lot of proficiency in. Uh, yeah, exactly. I felt they were kind of better left to their place in history with me. So, you know, as I kind of cycled through options, kind of came upon this dish as one of my uh, earliest challenges in cooking. And it goes back to my apprenticeship, a place called the Old Mill. Uh, it sits on, on the Humber River. It's been around for 150 years or so, and it was an old mill in the Blue and Jane area. And it was developed into, and still is to this day, uh, just a massive uh, event yeah. complex. Took a lot of weddings, mm -hmm. you know, conferences. And when I, you know, uh, decided I wanted to do cooking, you kind of, typically, you either just kind of jump into the uh, the industry, find a restaurant that'll give you a job and work your way up, or you can, you know, do it a little more classically and do a formal apprenticeship and go about it that way. So I, I did a little bit of both. I mean, during high school, I, I cooked, cooked around and, you know, it, it kind of became clear that this is what I was going to do and what I wanted to do. So I started my apprenticeship. I, I, I started primarily in banquets, but you wanted to be in the dining room. Right? That's kind of where the action was, I guess, um, cooking on a restaurant line. So I was and kind some of... some freedom or no? Uh, no freedom, no, no, no. You're an apprentice. And again, the menu was pretty static. It was classics. You, yeah. There wasn't even a lot of freedom there for the chef. But just, I guess, more fun, really, than anything. And, you know, you start out on a restaurant line in, in a section called, you know, entremetier. It's kind of the vegetable section. So you typically kind of make all the vegetable garnishes, make the soups, anything that kind of goes with the principal dishes. In that particular case, this is a dining room that served 300 people a night. There's four of us that worked that, that section. So I eventually made my way over there and, you know, there's a ton of stuff to do. And so I was strictly like gopher peeling, you know, support. This dish was a big part of that station. So we were making it pretty much every day. So it required a lot of kind of what you're seeing now, peeling and slicing onions. It, it was a soup that I knew of, really enjoyed, but I'd never kind of made before and certainly not in that volume. And while it'd be nice to kind of recount exactly how we made that soup then, it wasn't lovingly prepared. Uh, you know, it was made in a in a panic generally every day. We took quite a few shortcuts with it. You know, when I say shortcuts, part of 
the beauty of this soup is cooking out these onions kind of long and slow and getting them brown and bringing out all that natural sweetness. I remember we had this product, uh, it's called burnt sugar. It was in a big pitcher, right? Uh, this kind of basically like molasses, right? So, you know, you, you're only cooking your onions down kind of halfway and adding this liquid burnt sugar to give you that. You also get more volume out of it too. Based on how I cook now and how I feel about cooking, I would consider that cheating and you know, not something that I would do now, but understand why it was done there yeah. and then. Did yeah. you get so sick of it? Uh, yeah, kind of by, by the end, I would say, sure. I, I would say that I got- Every day for three years. Every day for three years, yeah, it was a huge thing. I mean, I'm sure if we looked online now at the menu in the old mail, that French onion soup was on there. Calling the old mill. Thank you for calling the old mill Toronto dining room. Just in case you were wondering, it is on the menu, and the people who work at the old mill are very patient with people asking questions about their soups. How did you fall in love with cooking? Did you... I don't know if I. I don't know if I can say that I fell in love with cooking. You know, like in the way that a lot of people describe it. I. Uh, really enjoyed spending time uh, with my grandmother, watching her cook. I was always really kind of curious about her kitchen and how the things kind of came together. But it wasn't a kitchen that you participated in, right? You no, nobody participated in her kitchen. And that's her domain. That's that's her shtick, yeah. And you know, that was her job. Right? Like that was, she wasn't in the kitchen, you know, for 12 hours a day. I think not, not for love of cooking. It was her job. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I, 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 she, it brought her a lot of joy, mind you. But, um, you know, that was, you know, this was an Eastern European woman and her, her identity was that kitchen and that was her job. And, and uh, she was excellent at it and, and made great food. So, I mean, that was my first exposure to it on a positive level. I knew it was a positive thing, uh, watching somebody kind of work away and you know, yielding these terrific results and you know, making us all really happy at the table. You know, I wish I could be more romantic about this and say falling in love with it, but you know, cooking for me was my part-time job in school. I, I loved the work. And, and then you know, it, it, it started to click, you know, the respect for food and, and understanding what it took to make food on a professional level. It wasn't like a love at first sight type of thing. I didn't come, that didn't come till kind of later in my career. And then things really changed after I went to work and live at, at a place called Eigenson Farm with a gentleman named Michael Statlander and his wife Novio. I would say at that point, is when you know I really started to love cooking and, and appreciate cooking. You know, it, re it, it changed everything for me. When I asked Michael to describe one of his most memorable meals, he immediately started describing the first dinner he had at Eigenson Farm, which is an internationally renowned restaurant owned and operated by Michael and Nobio Statlander. At one point, the restaurant was ranked as one of the top 10 best restaurants in the world, and the Statlanders embraced farm-to-table practices way before it became popular. Yeah, we had this incredible meal. I remember all the dishes. Uh, one in particular was the soup. You know, and I continue to make a, a style of this soup today, and you know, saw how he kind of made these soups. And I'd never seen soup made like this before. 
you know, until I got there. It was a mussel soup, and you know, he used you know, fish broth and you know the mussel liquor from from cooking them out, and made this beautifully light broth. And at the last minute, he you know purees it with fresh dill, and uh, he uses wasabi not in a, like a fusion way. His wife's Japanese. When they use horseradish, they use wasabi. I mean, you know, a little wasabi and a little fresh wasabi and dill and fish stock and butter, you know, pureed at high speed in a blender, so it's very light and foamy, you know, and I say foam, years before the big foam was trend in, in cooking, it's light and foamy with these beautifully plump mussels from British Columbia, and just like I'd never had before, kind of floating this gorgeous bowl, you know, made from recycled Coke bottles. It was just an experience, like, Probably the most memorable dish of my life. Uh, probably the most memorable dish of my life. And, and he asked me if I wanted to see the kitchen and took me back into the kitchen. And you know, the kitchen's this Alice in Wonderland type of art installation, right? Like uh, the middle of the kitchen has got this incredible tree in it. He calls it the pan tree and all the pans are hanging off this tree with this huge marble piece around it. it was, I hadn't seen anything like it before in my life, right? You know, and just was kind of in awe of this kitchen, saw the apprentices there. You know, there was four or five people back there. One corner had a, like a lamb's head that somebody was working on. And like, just, it was totally wild, right? Needless to say, I mean, it made a huge impression. Just started writing letters to him eight or nine months after that dinner, I think. So, yeah, it was four or five years of writing letters to him. Never hearing back, nothing. And I just kept doing it. Eventually that tenacity paid off and Michael Statlander called and invited him to live and work on the farm. And it sounds like it was an incredibly powerful experience. Even more powerful than chopping 10 pounds of onions. Let's get back to those onions and the importance of caramelization. So, yeah. But 10 pounds, uh, like I said, of red white onions sliced evenly. Here's one of the, the critical points is caramelizing the onions. We want to use butter because butter browns and butter promotes caramelization, but you know, we want to be careful not to take that too far and, and scorch the butter. Vessel is really important in this exercise. You want to look for something as uh, wide-bottomed as possible. You know, if you're making a very small amount, sure, any sauce pot will work. You know, we're making larger volume here. This is uh, 25 quarts, what we call a rondo, flat-bottomed, short-sided, lots of surface area. And you want that surface area because when you're caramelizing, you need contact with the pan and the fat. The fat transfers the heat from the pan, um, so the more surface area you have, the more contact you have with the, with the product and thereby uh, promotes browning or caramelization. And, you know, cold climate, it's a big part of our cooking practice. Uh, all right, so for our 10 pounds of sliced onion, I've got the Rondo on, and I would say I'm using an induction burner here, but you know, I'm starting kind of slow. I'm starting myself at just, just under a medium heat. You know, I want to see how my butter dissolves. I don't want to throw it into a smoking hot pan. Uh, it'll start to brown and burn right away. I just want to kind of get it melted down, get the fat kind of melted, and then we can kind of start to bring the heat up as everything kind of gets copacetic. And what I mean by that is, once the onions go in, once they start cooking, they'll start to 
release moisture. The moisture will create a bit of insulation for your butter in the pan, um, which will prevent it from burning. So you need a good pot for this, a wood spoon, uh, is my, my tool of choice. So I'm just bringing the butter down, like I said, uh, just kind of medium heat, you know. Uh, you just you want, you want to take it slow. The butter's starting to foam and get liquid. You don't want to see any kind of browning in your pan, you know. I know this is a lot of pontification about butter and fat, but it can make a big difference. If you go too fast at this point, you get little black burnt bits of butter. It, your end result is gonna be bitter and, and, and poor. So you can hear a bit of a sizzle, but I'm not hearing a, a big tss, right? I don't want it to, that, that'll, that'll come, right? That'll come. I'll get the onions in. I'll add some salt at this point. Salt will help kind of draw out moisture, kind of speed up the process. This is gonna take 30 minutes or so to kind of fully cook down and, and caramelize the way we want it to go. While the onions were slowly caramelizing, Michael worked on other parts of this dish and explained his sequence of events. You know, I want to be able to be ready for my next steps with these onions uh, before anything else. And that comes in the form of the garlic and the chili. You know, those aren't components that you, know, you want to put in too soon. For one, garlic as well has a lot of sugar and garlic can burn over time as well. At this point on with 30 minutes of cooking, you would kind of cook out their effectiveness, if you will. Right, so I'm gonna add this stuff a little later after I've kind of cooked it down, but I wanna be ready with it nonetheless. So I'll just kind of go ahead and get that. Get that together. Like I said, I got five cloves of garlic here. Two tablespoons of chopped garlic at the end of the day. You know, which isn't very much considering we're probably looking at putting five liters of liquid into 10 pounds of cooked onions or so, so it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's not just a, little taste. just a little taste of garlic, yeah, if, if, at all, right? if at all. Let's check on those onions. Yeah, so we're looking good. I mean, the onions are coming down. You can see they're really quite translucent. The, um, the, the Bermuda onions or the red onions are starting to kind of melt their color, and they got a bit of a pinkish tone. We don't have any. Uh, we don't have any caramelization yet. We do have a lot of steam coming off the pot, so we're still removing moisture, right? It's still kind of what's going on, right? It's kind of steam coming out. Now I can see there's a lot of liquid to the side. It's a little quieter than we first started, so you know, instinctually, I'm gonna kind of bring the temperature up, right? I'm gonna just bring it up and really start to kind of cook that moisture out a little bit quicker and then start to convert the sugars. And once it starts to brown, it'll start to happen pretty quickly. As you can see, I've been careful to get it to this point. There's no color on anything now, kind of translucent. We've got a moisture release starting to break down. Now I can kind of apply some of the gas. Now that I'm out of the driveway, bring the gas up, start to caramelize. Okay, we've got my garlic is minced. We'll get to my chili. I'm gonna bounce back to uh, that in just a second because I want to start to get the crouton component uh, out of the way. The top, you know, the French onion soup has this lovely bubbly cheese mix, but it has to rest on the crouton that sits uh, on the soup. And if you've had bad onion soup, that crouton can be kind of really soggy and yucky. It inevitably gets soggy, but you want to try and have a bit of crispness to it. So you need you need bread somewhat dry. You know, we got a fresh baguette today. 
beautiful baguette from Mark Tewitt, our neighbor. So we'll get that in the oven at a low temp, like 250 is fine. We're not looking to, you know, make a toast. We're looking to kind of dry it out. So we'll just get it into the oven, get that drying as we kind of wrap up the soup, okay? I'm looking to kind of cover the top of the soup bowl, so size is important uh, here in terms of the, the size of the crouton. Thickness, I would look at, uh, oh, I would say a quarter of an inch or so. You know, and I'm cutting this, this crouton straight across and it's a perfect, uh, a perfect fit actually for what we want to do. So you know, about a quarter inch straight across this baguette. Baguette's kind of the, the traditional bread you'd use in this instance, All right? Back to the onions, right into the onions. So you can hear now, now we're kind of at a much higher pace, a sizzle. You can see there's kind of some color starting, color on the bottom of the pan. Some of the onions are starting to take color. Now that I'm working at a much higher, much more aggressive heat, I want to be careful to really kind of keep my eye on things, right? I don't want things to burn or scorch. I want to keep things moving. So let a layer, convert some sugar, go back over to it, move it around, right? And get it kind of cooking down. And uh, just make a little soft butter that I'm going to brush over these little pieces of baguette. You know, you could drizzle it with a little bit of olive oil. You could drizzle it with a little bit of melted butter. At the speed that I'm going now, we're probably 15 minutes out on the onions, kind of. So I want to be ready because things will move pretty quickly once that component's done, right? I'm just kind of prepping my beef stock. So at this point, if you're using a homemade or what have you, you know, just have yourself kind of ready to go. You know, really ready to go. You know, you ideally having it in a pot, hot, ready to go on the stove. So just kind of getting those things on the ready. Some of my flavoring agents. I'm gonna go in with the fresh thyme as a whole component. So kind of a little bouquet of, of herbs, if you will. I'm using about, oh, I'd say half, half my bunch of thyme. I think it's plenty, okay? Um, in this particular case, I'm just tying it in with some butcher uh, string, laying the butcher string across my cutting board, putting the sprigs of thyme directly in the middle I'm even going so far as just adding my bay leaves right into that and what I'm trying to create is yeah literally a little bouquet if you will I'm gonna tie it up nice and tight this will go into the soup once the liquid has been introduced and it'll cook for a short time and just release just enough herb flavor uh, that it'll kind of be fresh and prominent you know not sit in there and cook out for hours and get kind of muted and dull. This will give me a nice kind of bright kind of finishing. Fresh herbs you generally add towards the end of things, you know, and in this case it would be no different. And you know, if you don't have access to fresh herbs or you know, you've forgotten them, you can certainly use dry. And I just caution that dry herbs are a lot more concentrated and potent and uh, can certainly take over in the dish. So you gotta be quite, quite cautious of that. So yeah, we're getting ourselves kind of just ready for next steps. You know, liquid is on hand, bouquet garni, garlic is chopped. The garlic and the chili, working with fresh chilies, particularly the hot ones. And again, this one isn't overly hot. Tend to remove the seeds, cut out the ribs, cut out the seeds. And we're just gonna wanna dice them down and then we'll kind of mince them in together with the garlic and make kind of a nice kind of fine mash. 
The onions cooked for another five minutes, but if you're not cooking as many onions as Michael and they already look done, if they're nice and caramelized and a much lesser amount than you started with, then you can grab your alcohol. So what we want to do, we want to saturate. We want to get a, 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 another kind of level of kind of flavor into there and, and alcohol being such a kind of a clean, pure dish with you know, sweetness of onions and the beef broth. Um, uh, want to incorporate a bit of uh, alcohol, but before I do that, I'm going to go in with my garlic and chili and just kind of get that cooked out. So I want the garlic flavor. I don't want it to kind of taste raw. So I get that garlic in there. Just kind of keep it moving around. Again, let the rawness cook out of it. Let it perfume these onions on the whole. Okay, just checked on the bread. Toasting up nice. So. There's a lot of schools of thought as to the booze that you can use. Um, sherry, brandy, quite typical. You can use port if you like that flavor. I like to use the sherry component I do in form of sherry vinegar, which I'll do on a finishing end. And I'll use that as my balancer. So I'll get my sherry flavor into it in that way. I do kind of double duty, right? Um, I, I like brandy. And brandy's a really good complement to this soup, very identifiable. Um, so it'll be the first booze that I go in with, and I like to kind of cook it out, right? So I mean, by cook it out, kind of cook out the alcohol, evaporate it, kind of cook it out, or actually into the onions themselves, right? Um, you know, as well, we're kind of deglazing the pan here, getting any kind of caramelized bits off the bottom, really kind of cleaning things up and uh, saturating uh, these onions with another level of flavor. In this case, a nice boozy brandy. Once that brandy's been kind of cooked in, I'll do the same thing with a bit of white wine for some acidity, for a little counterbalance. Brandy's very sweet, and a little more acidity from your white wine, and you just get more, um, you know, just a more balancing note with the white wine to kind of shine through. Yeah. So you can see these onions, right? Dark, right? brown and rich and soft, but also together, right? There's some integrity there. It's very clear kind of what they are, right? They are uh, very clearly an onion. Um, all their sugar has been kind of brought out beautifully. I'm gonna just kind of check for uh, salt. It's really important to kind of season in layers, right? As opposed to finding yourself in a position with something very flat on the back end, that's how you get kind of salty food. To get around that, you kind of season as you go. Yeah, so I've added a bit of salt. I'm gonna add just even a little bit more, but that's good. Super sweet. You know, that garlic's there. It's pretty much, the harshness is pretty much cooked out. Oh, that's amazing. You know, I could, maybe cook this down a bit further, but for me, that, that's fine. That's sweet enough, that's soft enough. You know, the seasoning is good. And I go in with the, the brandy, uh, you know, for kind of guidance and reference here, probably looking at, I would say, you know, 500 mils or so. 
If you're making less soup than Michael is, you'll probably use about half of that amount. Again, the recipe on our website will give you the general guidelines, but the best part of this whole experience for me was being reminded that it's really important to trust your judgment and to keep tasting. Adding the alcohol in small amounts and then tasting was really informative and gave Michael the exact flavor he wanted for this soup. At this point, I'll add the bouquet in. That'll kind of start to do its thing. There's liquid in there. It'll start to, you know, start to give off some of its flavor. You know, I'll kind of be scraping the bottom, getting any of those any of those bits off. Right? It doesn't take long. We've got such a wide-bottomed uh, pan here, right? So anytime you add in something for evaporation, that's going to come off really, really quite quickly. You can see. I mean, that's half a liter liquid pretty much already uh, evaporated. It's just surface area, just yeah, right, yeah. cooks in, right? So I'll, you know, continue to taste, right? Like I'll continue, like, was that enough booze? How do I really know? Well, I told you to put half a liter in, but I don't know how many onions you have at home. I don't know what you've decided to do. So really the best way I can get is taste it, see what you're tasting, right? Our previous taste, tasted sweet, you know, somewhat seasoned onions with some garlic flavor in there. You know, I think that has a nice back note of brandy. You know, it's, it's the onions with a little something else. You know, by my gauge, that's enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need to put any more. And that was about half a liter for the quantity that I'm working with, right? So that would be it for the brandy. It's fully cooked out. My bouquet garni is in. You know, it's doing some perfuming. We're getting, we'll be getting our herb note in there. Right, it's all cooked out. Now, maybe a little sharpness and acidity. I'll go in with my white wine. Probably a little bit less than that because we can also add some on the back end too if needed. 300 mils of white wine. And again, kind of working the pan, getting any of those bits off the pan. See where we're at. I might even start with my pepper. And I didn't put any pepper. Whole pepper, I may just kind of start seasoning up some of the onions. Yeah, I think that's as boozy as I want to make it right now. You can always add to the liquid itself, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, look at that, that's, you know, we're looking at it over an hour. Yeah. By the time, you know, you slice it, you get it in there. Yeah. And, you know, you can be doing other things, but yeah. It's a very labor-intensive soup. So now we'll start to go in with the beef broth. Um, you know, I'm not gonna just go in with everything I got or give you a number here. You're just gonna start to incorporate, right? Start to bring it in, melt it down. You know, in my case, melt it because it's a, you know, it's, it's got quite a bit of body. Um, and just start to look at the ratio of um, broth to onions. And you know, what you're looking for, this is again, this is an onion soup. And it's the worst getting an onion soup where there's these drips and drabs of onions and this salty broth, right? Like that's really unsatisfying. You want a lot of onions on your spoonful, a really beautifully flavorful stock um, to kind of carry those. So, you know, you don't want to go in too far. I just, I like to kind of add in, see where I'm at so I get just the right amount in there. 
just the right amount for one might be different for another, right? Like I said, I like a, like a high concentration of uh, onion. You know, this is a little on the, I would, you know, call stodgy side, right? I've only put in your worth of uh, stock, or maybe, maybe a liter and a half, two liters. So, you know, I'll keep going. You know, I had about five, what I had about five liters. Yeah. Yeah, about five years to start with. I don't know that I'm going to use it all, but uh, I'll get close. I'll get close for sure. And also start this. Yeah, so I would say, you know, your big test here would be kind of the ladle test, right? You know, what is it, what does the soup look like in your ladle? Is that a nice ratio to you? You know, yeah, can I get more yield out of this for sure, but you know, I want lots of lots of onion in there, right? And I think that we're just about good. How's that look to you, Suzanne? That looks amazing. It looks good. That's huh? perfect. Yeah. It, it does, yeah. Like it's gonna cook a bit. You know, not long, like yeah. 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes. Yeah. Just let pull out some of that flavor out of the baileys and the fresh thyme, bring it all together. Um, maybe we'll adjust with a bit more liquid. It might evaporate a little bit. Maybe just splash a bit more. You know, we're gonna kind of maybe just we'll check for seasoning and that'll include maybe a little more brandy, maybe a little more white wine, maybe a little sherry vinegar, uh, you know, on the back end. But, but, but by and large, it's down to kind of seasoning now. The slices of baguette were in the oven for about 20 minutes, but you can leave them in until they become hard and crisp and toasty looking. Okay, so I just pulled out our our toasts, nice and dense, hard, dry, bit of color on them as they've been doused in uh, butter. Um, and uh, I'll just hit them uh, just a little light sprinkling of salt after they've come out of the oven. Okay, boom. So those are ready to go. Uh, our other topping, uh, as I said, we're using the cave-aged Gruyere cheese and the Parmesan. Okay, so I like a nice kind of coarse grate, not too fine. In other words, like, uh, you know, that microplane grater, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to grate, we want big kind of shreds of, of the cheese, of the Gruyere. I might get a little bit more than that, but you do want a heavy amount of cheese. Now with the Parmesan, I do like to do uh, more of a fine grate as opposed to a shred. Now for a couple of reasons, I like to kind of mix some of the parm uh, into the, um, in, it doesn't melt quite the same. The, the Gruyere is the gooey component. The parm is the more kind of the, uh, kind of browns a bit more. It doesn't melt quite the same way. So I just like to kind of mix some of the finer parm into, uh, into the Gruyere and then reserve some of the parm just for the uh, just for the top, just to sprinkle a bit on the top. Um, and now we're gonna season our soup. Now we're gonna, gonna yeah, this is the most important part, is getting that seasoning just so. So when you're doing a final seasoning, you gotta consider beyond, beyond the principal ingredient here. What else is going with this dish? Well, and you know, the reason you're considering that is for you know the salt content across the board. We know that you know this dish is going to be topped with a naturally salty cheese product. You know, it's got a seasoned little crouton. So there's levels of salinity here. We want to make sure that you know you don't go too crazy here and uh, and over season because it's about eating it all together in a in a balanced way. So I'm just going to pull out my bouquet garni. Grab a few tasting spoons. 
right beside us and our sherry vinegar. So we should have a soup that, is, as far as I'm concerned, is almost there. Good and sweet, but for sure salt. Mm -hmm. Definitely could use a bit of kick from some pepper. Mm -hmm. Could even use a little bit more brandy. Yeah. Maybe to finish. You know? Put it there. And a little bit of sherry vinegar. Just to kind of give it a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a cut there. Just kind of start there. It's funny that the seasoning almost kind of enhances that sweetness, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Maybe the alcohol? Yeah, the alcohol too, for sure. Yeah, and we'll bring this back up on the stove at home, and you can, you always, every time you bring something back up, give it another, re yeah, re-season it, kind of give it another check. But I think that's kind of the base flavoring there, I think is golden. Then we moved from the secret kitchen to Michael's home kitchen, where he finished the soup, and we ate it with our families, which included those crazy kids you heard at the beginning. If you put the soup crocks on a pan covered with tin foil, then you can just sprinkle the cheese on top of the soup without worrying too much about the mess. Finishing is the easy part. So um, these are deep bowls that hold a lot of volume of liquid. So um, it's nice to just preheat them a little bit. Um, you know, the, 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 the trick in the oven, you know, you're looking to just get it browned. So it happens pretty quickly with a broil. So you wanna make sure your soup when it goes in is piping hot. Um, don't count on the oven to heat up your soup, which is a mistake I think you get in a lot of places. You get nice brown cheese, but kind of tepid soup. You want it to be really kind of hot and bubbly. Um, so I filled it out. These are holding, you know, 10 ounces of soup. This is a real, real meal. Uh, our croutons ready to go. Just float them right on top, right? You want to still have a kind of a nice crispy top part. Right, so two croutons per. Gonna be a perfect fit, as I can see. Right. And this is kind of a messy, splashy part of it, right? Like it's gonna broil and be super bubbly, and you know, so you don't have to be too too dear with it, right? You really want to kind of load it on there and. get some of it on the top. And can you just remind us of the Gruyere and This the is the, the cave-aged Gruyere and yeah, and the Parmesan. That we kind of, yeah, we did kind of the shredding of the Gruyere and the dusting of the Parmesan. The Gruyere is more kind of the melty uh, component here and the Parmesan kind of really browns things out. If you have it, just a little more grated Parmesan over top. Like so. And that's it. So I got the broil set to high with the, um, with the rack kind of in the middle of the oven. And off we go. Should take Six to hey, yeah, five, five to five to seven minutes in and around there until it's brown and bubbly and steamy. 
Happy Sunday night dinner, everyone. This podcast is produced by Suzanne Hancock, music by JJ Ibsen. Huge thanks to Michael Dixon and his family, especially Quinton, for his constant enthusiasm. And thanks to Mark Tuit for the best baguette I've ever tasted. Check out our website, sundaynightdinnerpodcast.com, for links to our other shows and to get updates about future shows. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to see photos and for links to our guests. See you soon.